This is the J. Scott Outdoors podcast on Western big game hunting and fishing brought to you by GoHunt.com Insider. Research faster, hunt more. Go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider and use the J. Scott promo code when signing up to receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. I'm your host, J. Scott. And I live and breathe hunting and fishing, spending half the year in the field experiencing God's creation. I hope you'll enjoy hearing about our adventures. Guys, welcome to the podcast. Today is going to be a two-part series with Adam Bronson of Bronson Outfitting and Epic Outdoors. And we're going to be going over the Utah application uh, booklet and all of the big game animals to apply for in Utah. And we're going to go through uh, the different season dates, uh, all the ins and outs of the draw, um, bonus points, uh, all the different things it's going to take to get uh, a tag in Utah for this upcoming fall season. It's going to be a great two-part episode. Before we get to that, I wanted to point out a couple things, first of which... Uh, here in Arizona, the Big Boquias Ranch uh, has reached an agreement with the Arizona Game and Fish Department. And you can go to huntbigbowranch.com, click on the hunt access rates, and you will notice that the uh, permitted price is basically $80 across the board. And there's a hunter assistant uh, price so anybody that's going to be with you on your hunt on the big bow also has to pay eighty dollars and uh, the price for the early antlerless elk the late antlerless elk and the archery antlerless elk is fifty dollars and a fifty dollar hunter assist price um, i want to uh, applaud the big bow ranch and the game and fish for coming to a resolution it was looking like sportsmen were going to have to pay $500 access fee and that they were also going to limit the tag numbers. But that has uh, indeed been uh, been nullified and um, the new access rate is $80. I believe that's up $20 from the $60 rate last year. And uh, I'd like to point out that uh, this ranch... Uh, whether we like it or not, uh, is private property, according to the state of Arizona. And it, yes, it is checkerboarded, but if you read the laws and the rules, uh, they could easily lock this ranch off and we not have access to the entire ranch. Whether you like it or not, that doesn't even come into play. What comes into play is the law. And um, we have a great privilege to hunt an unbelievable 750,000 acre ranch and I think it's important for all of us to remember that uh, as sportsmen, we need to take care of that property. We need to thank the ranch employees when we see them, and we need to act on our best behavior so that in uh, future generations and future years, uh, the leasee and the owner of the ranch will want us there. So, I mean, all it takes is one bad sportsman to ruin it for everybody. And I think everybody that has been involved in this controversy knows that, you know, a couple of people mess it up for, for the whole. So if you see trash and it's not yours, pick it up. If you see someone breaking the rules, turn them in. And speaking of rules, they've got a whole list of rules if you go to the website huntbigbowranch.com there's ranch rules uh there's there's some changes in some of the rules uh be aware of all the rules and follow them it's real easy they're 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 going out of their way to give us a right uh, to hunt on their property and we need to take advantage of that opportunity but we also need to make sure that we as sportsmen take care of their property so that they want us back. So I applaud the Game and Fish uh, and all parties involved in coming to a resolution. Guys, I wanted to tell you about the February Go Hunt Insider giveaway. Uh, this month, the month of February, they're giving away six outdoorsmen's machined aluminum tripod and tripod heads. Uh, that is a retail value of $5,000. Uh, each month, Go Hunt Insider 
members, uh, random names are pulled from the list of the insider members and they give away awesome gear uh, like custom rifles, optics, apparel, landowner tags, you know, they gave away Kuyu sleeping bags, uh, uh, 100 phone scope adapters, uh, Kuyu backpacks, um, and some unreal hunts, including a $22,000 doll sheep hunt this summer, elk hunts, mule deer hunts, antelope hunts. All you have to do is be a GoHunt.com insider member to have a chance to win. And um, it's an incredible opportunity uh, every single month. Uh, if you're not already an insider member, go to GoHunt.com forward slash insider. Click on the blue join now button. Use the J. Scott promo code. And you're automatically going to get a $50 Kuyu gift card in return. Uh, it's a great value uh, here in this application season. Uh, GoHunt.com Insider has released their draw odds and uh, as well as their filtering 2.0 system. And, um, you know, everyone that I talk to really likes these new draw odds and it fits really well in the filtering 2.0 system. I'm currently going through my Utah applications and um, it's amazing how you can click on the unit and it gives you all the draw odds. It gives you the applicants last year with how many points that they applied and you can start trying to calculate uh, you know, where you need to be and which hunts you want to put in for. So I applaud the guys over at GoHunt.com uh, for uh, putting so much time and effort into this resource and it is proving to be the greatest resource for any western big game hunter out there and so I encourage you guys to check it out uh, this is going to be a great episode with Adam Bronson um, and we're going to go through all the ins and outs of Utah I want to thank you guys the listeners for all of your support that you give this podcast and I really appreciate all the positive comments and the feedback and even some of the constructive criticism that I received through my email. If you'd like to send me a message, you can send it to jscottoutdoors at gmail.com and I try and respond immediately. Uh, if you don't get a response immediately, it probably means I'm in the field, but other than that, uh, I try and respond uh, you know, within minutes of, of getting the emails and certainly the same day. And I just appreciate all the feedback. I get a lot of emails with people requesting different people to be on the podcast, uh, different topics and different subjects uh, that people want to hear. And um, I just really appreciate that. The support is amazing. Uh, last month, uh, the month of January, we had 168,000 downloads. And, um, you know, without you guys supporting this podcast, uh, uh, you know, it wouldn't be uh, wouldn't be possible. Uh, obviously, I'd also like to thank our sponsors uh, of this podcast. Obviously, GoHunt.com Insider has been a title sponsor of this podcast from virtually the beginning. We've got the Outdoorsman's. We've got uh, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines. We've got Phone Scope, Wilderness Athlete, and Utah Hydrographics. And I would ask you guys to look them up on social media, uh, go to their websites, call them on the phone, uh, and uh, support them. These are great companies. Uh, I know all of these guys, and, and these are great people. They make great products. And uh, without these sponsors, uh, I wouldn't be able to put as much time as I do into this podcast. And uh, I just uh, want to thank them and thank you guys. And uh, let's get right to the episode here with Adam Bronson. Now, remember, this is a part one of two series, and uh, we're going to go over every big game animal in Utah. Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today we've got a cool episode with Adam Bronson of Bronson Outfitting and Epic Outdoors. Adam has been on the podcast before and his podcast was very well received. I got a lot of great comments and feedback. Adam, how are you doing today? Doing great. How are you, Jay? 
Oh, doing just fine. I saw that you uh, actually came down to Arizona and uh, shot a coos deer. Was that your first coos deer hunt? Yeah, it was. Uh, you know, I'm one of those guys that, you know, mule deer is mean a lot to me, and, and, and I've got a grundle of mule deer points in Arizona. So, um, I you know, I've never been able to, you know, apply for the coos deer hunts justifiably until I get that out of the way. I ended up hunting down on San Carlos, uh, where I hunted that. Had a great time with a couple of friends. Uh, we're down there in part of that wild weather, just, uh, you know, unbelievable amounts of rain and then snow, which made uh, for some kind of cool hunting conditions when it all broke. It was like uh, ants in a sugar bowl out there running, running around uh, with everything flocked white. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I saw the picture of the buck you shot. It's uh, cool with the meat out laid out on the snow. And I guess I'd like to ask you uh, kind of your first impressions of coos deer and uh, maybe some of the things that you witnessed that uh, you thought were pretty cool or unique to that animal. Well, you know, I've had a lot of friends hunt them over the years. Some of my friends just hunt coos deer exclusively in Arizona, friends from here in Utah, and they draw every two or three years and go hunt them. And you know, having talked with them and obviously enough people and understanding that you just sit on your butt all day is pretty much how you hunt coos deer, which is a lot how we hunt some of the big mule deer that we're targeting and the sheep that I love to hunt and, and guide up here. And so there really wasn't a surprise that or a thought that I wouldn't like it. Um, and that was definitely the case. I had a great time down there. Um, um, a lot of diverse country, you know, you know, they're not, they're not found in one spot or another. They're found up in the ponderosas, up high and thick stuff. And once in a while you'll see them there and wonder, how would you ever kill one here if you didn't see it run across the road type thing? And then you're down in the, you know, the desert floor. Um, you know, hunting the rut in January, obviously, you know, is, is fun. And, and you get to experience that obviously in Mexico and the deer are just a lot more active um, than they would be early and otherwise. And that made for a, a fun time. We, we looked over a lot of bucks. You know, obviously I'm not uh, as experienced as many, many people hunting them, but, uh, you know, we had a great time and I'm ready to go back. I know that. So whether it be there, Mexico or, or both, um, I want to, I want to keep doing that. And that was fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, uh, you guys, I believe the timing you hit that big storm, uh, where we had two or three days of quite a bit of moisture and snow and what have you. Uh, one question I would ask is, uh, with that weather, did you notice the deer activity during the storm was, was minimal? And then what did you notice after the storm broke? Yeah. And it was, you know, there was parts that it was drizzling rain that we'd try to get out on ranges and do our thing. And, and, and then there were literally times when it was coming down so hard that you just, you, I don't know what the deer were doing because I know I was in my wall tent. <laughs> it, was just, <laughs> it, was, uh, it was that bad. And then when it turned to snow, um, I was actually relieved. It just made getting around a lot easier. And obviously then, you know, visibility and picking up them little buggers in the, in the thick brush and whatnot was really going to be good. We were really looking forward to that. And it, and it was, it was excellent. Uh, you know, the day it broke, I killed my buck. Uh, and then, uh, two days later had a friend killed a, a 111 buck and, uh, you know, it ended a great hunt. So. Yeah, for sure. The times, uh, not many times, but the times that I've been able to hunt them in the snow, it seems like maybe for like the first hour, um, they're just laying there and they're cold. But as soon as they decide to get up, uh, you know, the contrast with their bodies, which, you know, you, you experience, I'm sure, in Utah a lot with your mule deer. Um, but it's it's fairly uh, unique with coos to have snow. And, man, they stick out. And uh, they sure like to stand in the sun and, and uh, be out in the open. So it, it's definitely a target-rich environment uh, after a, uh, a snowstorm. And you get a, you know, cold, crisp, crisp day the next day. It seems like they're really active all day. Yeah, it reminded me a lot of some of our southern Utah units or Colorado units that I've hunted field there a lot, where you have that really, really thick gamble oak that's lost its leaves and it's gray. And obviously the deer that time of year and, you know, late October, early November are gray. And they, they get in that stuff without snow and, and they can almost disappear. And when you get snow in that, they literally just pop out. And uh, it reminded me of that. So. Yeah, cool. Did you um, notice sometimes it was hard to actually kill a buck that was rutting? I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I know we've talked about it here on the podcast with some other guests in that, 
you know, one great thing about the rut is that they're very visible, but sometimes they're moving around so much they, they can be hard to keep up with. Yeah, that, uh, that was different than, um, you know, say sheep or even mule deer. You know, sheep, when they rut, they're rutting a the year round, and once in a while, if they get her running on a slope, two or three rams, it, it can be hard to try to kill them. But a lot of times, they're in a tight group, and the rams are farting around with each other and kicking each other and all that, and you're just literally waiting for them to segregate. But yeah, these coos, I, I, I didn't ever see a deer that I tried to kill that, that I, um, that was doing that, but there was a lot of younger bucks, you know, 80 to 100 inch type deer that, that I thought, man, it'd be hard to kill that deer. It's just not nonstop relentless. And, uh, I saw some pretty neat behavior of does run in and dive and, and literally run, come to a running stop and, and bed down and they were hiding from the bucks and those bucks would just hound dog them out after about five minutes and root them out. <laughs> it was pretty fun to watch. Yeah. A lot of times I always joke, uh, it reminds me a lot of my high school days when I was trying to get a date and I always had the girls running away from me. But, uh, you know, they, they're sure persistent, you know, from, from looking at a lot of different rutting animals, for sure those coos deer bucks, uh, no matter their size, uh, they just seem to dog those does and, and uh, you know, they're just chasing them constantly. So it makes for a really fun hunt. Yep. I'm glad you got to enjoy it and I'm glad you kind of got the bug for coos deer. I mean, it's one of those animals I tell people all the time, unless you go hunt them, you, you can't really understand it. But once you do, most people I know are just hooked on them. Yeah. Yeah. And I knew I probably would be. And, uh, you know, I, I joked to my wife when I got home, well, I got another, I got another habit. So, uh, anyway. Yeah. Awesome. Well, today I want to talk about, uh, Utah. I know the applications, uh, uh, the application period for Utah is now open online and, uh, I believe the deadline is March 3rd coming up. You can correct me if I'm wrong. Um, I want to go over the Utah draw and go over all the different uh, animals to apply for. And um, first, I'd like you to kind of uh, briefly go over the Utah draw system. Uh, for those listeners maybe that aren't very familiar or that haven't applied, uh, kind of walk me through a, a kind of an A to Z uh, how the system works. Okay, like you said, the deadline to apply for a hunt is March 3rd. Um, if you are only going to do a, a point only, a preference point only application, they extend that through until March 17th. Um, but yeah, if you're picking your units and you want to get in and consider to draw a hunt, March 3rd is the time to be in. Um, Utah, for all of their limited entry and once in a lifetime species, limited entry deer, elk, and antelope, as well as all the moose, sheep, goat, uh, bison, uh, they run a modified preference and bonus point draw where 50% of the tags go to the highest point applicants for that individual hunt and the other 50% go randomly. Uh, we do have in Utah set aside quotas for residents and non-residents. So when you look at the odds sheets, you can see how many tags were available last year for non-residents and how many applied and what the maximum point holders were. A little bit different than, say, Arizona, where non-residents are awarded up to 10% per hunt. Utah's a set-aside. You know, it, it, there's rounding involved, but it, it's roughly 10, somewhere as high as 15%. So if you do have a lot of points for a certain species, um, it's somewhat predictable when you might draw. Not as predictable as, say, Colorado, where there are 100% preference, but, but if you've got a lot of points, you can simply look at the units with the points you had that you might have drawn last year and barring, you know, crossovers from another unit or people coming out of the woodwork that were doing points only or whatever, you might be able to somewhat predict that you might be able to get a tag. Uh, Utah rounds, in the case of odd permits, they round in the favor of the random draw. And what that means is that there's only one non-resident permit available. It always will go in the random draw. So everybody has a chance to draw any tag in Utah every year. Albeit maybe a slim chance. Uh, when there's two tags, obviously 50-50. If you get to three, then there'll be two in the random and one in the preference. They always round in the favor of the ra of the random draw. Uh, the only exception to this is with general season deer hunts, and those those are a true preference system. Uh, many of you that apply may remember that you get to apply for general season deer and the limited entry deer. 
they run the limited entry deer draw first. And so if you don't draw something like a Henry's or Pontagon or something in that round, you can then be considered in the general season draw, and they have their own preference points for those. And those those go to the maximum point holders. Now, most of them don't take many to draw. Many you can draw with zero to one point. Some take two or three. But, um, that's kind of a breakdown in general how how their draw works. It's an online application process. Non-residents, well, everybody have to buy a $65 hunting license as a non-resident, and then it's $10 per species. And so it really makes sense if you're going to consider applying in Utah to apply for all the species that you're interested in, not just say, hey, I'm a deer guy, I'm going to put in for deer, that's 75 bucks, because you can add, you know, for another 20 or 30 bucks, add two or three more species and be building points for them and get a little bit more bang for the buck out of that license purchase. Um, now, one tidbit that Utah's never closed this loophole. Many people take advantage of it, but they issue a 365-day license, much like Arizona does. But in Utah, if you have a valid hunting license, at the day you apply, um, that's all they care about. And so many people will apply sometime in mid to late February one year, and the next year, as long as you apply before that 365-day license is, is up, you won't have to buy another 65-day license. You can kind of get a two-for-one. So keep that in mind. You know, I don't know of any other state that, that really allows you to, you know, that doesn't want your money, I guess. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but um, take advantage of it. If they're not going to close the loophole, I know many people that do, including, you know, some I do that for some of my you know, my, my wife and daughters that don't hunt something every single year, um, you know, do it that way, save a little bit of money. Absolutely. Um, let's take a quick break here, hear from our sponsors, and we'll get right back into uh, drawing tags in Utah here. At GoHunt.com, we are restoring the heritage of the old and constantly redefining the new. We stay focused and put our efforts into redefining the future of Western hunting. What makes us special? What makes us different? We are the new breed of hunter. We are the customers that we serve. We are the innovators, and we are the future. Visit GoHunt.com slash insider and join the movement. Use the J. Scott promo code when signing up and receive a $50 Kuyu gift card. Have you guys heard about PhoneScope? PhoneScope is a privately held company that makes custom-molded, precisely engineered smartphone digiscoping adapters. Photographing wildlife has never been easier. Take digiscoping photos and videos from your smartphone and share them with your friends. PhoneScope stands behind their product with a 100% money-back guarantee. PhoneScope is the future of digiscoping. Get yours now. Use the JSCOT16 promo code and receive 10% discount on all purchases. Check them out at PhoneScope. That's P-H-O-N-E-S-K-O-P-E dot com or on Instagram, at PhoneScope. Okay, Adam, I want to talk to you about, uh, are there any changes to the 2016 uh, draw, uh, or are there any changes as far as uh, things that uh, the, the DWR has uh, you know, made acceptable or not acceptable that you know of? Um, there are a couple of sheep units opening up. There's uh, Most of those are just applied to residents. There's a couple of new sheep units for Rocky Mountain Bighorn. Uh, there are some uh, muzzleloader deer hunts um, that are general season in October, but they have added more of the limited entry muzzleloader seasons for them, and I believe the dates are November 2nd to the 10th. These are general season deer units, but they're issuing limited entry hunts for them with a muzzleloader in early November. Uh, I really think some of these hunts are going to be great this year. They will use your limited entry points, um, even though they're managed as a general season unit, you know, for 18 to 20 bucks per hundred does versus the 30 or 40 plus bucks per hundred does. Because of the dates this year, with all the dates falling back with the calendar shift, that's November 2nd to the 10th, and we haven't had those dates to hunt deer with a muzzleloader in Utah for, you know, 20-plus years since I was, you know, in high school or just at a... So that's a pretty significant change. The other probably biggest change has to do with muzzleloader equipment, and that is that the Wildlife Board 
adopted a policy change that allows magnified scopes on muzzleloaders, essentially making it very similar to what you have down in Arizona. So I anticipate muzzleloader hunting in Utah this year especially to get even more popular and the hunts to be, you know, harder to draw. You know, there, there's no way they should get easier to draw with that change, which, you know, used to be open sights or one power magnification only. Some people's eyes just don't work well, particularly people that get a little bit older that just can't focus on front and rear open sights or even those one powers are hard, hard time. So, you know, there's people that maybe don't have the absolute maximum number of points. I could see them falling out of the rifle and going chasing some of these muzzler attacks now. And that's probably the single biggest change I hear about and, and got people buzzing the most up here. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. I think it opens up, uh, uh, muzzleloader hunting, uh, you know, there'll be a lot more people that apply for it. I, I agree with you 100%. Let's dive right into uh, the elk and discuss the general, the limited entry, the archery, the muzzy, uh, early rifle, and the late hunts. And I guess uh, maybe cover, say, you know, you can do it however you want. Maybe break down, the, you know, top three units and or five units or whatever you want. And then maybe talk about maybe some middle tier units. Um, and for non-residents that are applying, uh, you, you brought up a good point. They have to make sure that they, if they've got a bunch of points, some of these uh, units uh, don't even allow a uh, non-resident hunt. So can you talk to me about uh, elk in Utah? Uh, yeah, real quickly addressing the, the general season elk hunting. We do have some over-the-counter general season elk hunting in Utah. The most of the units where you could hunt any bull are up in northern Utah, um, along the Wasatch Front, units that are heavily private land, where they they don't manage, you know, for super trophy. They have a lot of liberal harvest, and that's to appease a lot of the private land pressures and demands. The exception to that is the high UNS wilderness area, it's just vast, classic elk country. Uh, we don't kill giant bulls up there in Utah, but it's a dirty hunt. It, it wouldn't be as good, in my opinion, as going to, say, Colorado or one of these other hunts and just picking an over-the-counter unit. Uh, the most, the rest of the, the, the bulk of the rest of the hunts in Utah uh, for general season bull hunting are spike only on our limited entry hunts. So we do have plenty of opportunity. But as a non-resident, it's not as good of general season elk hunting opportunity as some of these other uh, states have. However, on our limited entry, yeah, we're we're great. Um, we hunt bulls every single day in September and even through the first week of October with various weapon types. And not many states do that. We begin with the archery hunt. This year, all the dates in Utah... Uh, shifted later, and that's just due to the start of our archery seasons falling back five days, opening on the 20th of August and going to the 16th. And that's going to help archery elk hunters, um, although the 16th, by by no stretch of the imagination, is, you know, super deep into the rut. Sometimes they can just really be barely getting going the last few days of that hunt, but it is, it is what it is. Um, the rifle hunt then goes September 17th to the 25th, and then the muzzleloader hunt picks up on the 26th of September right after that. So literally, take your pick. Odds will almost always be better for the archery. And then um, the late rifle and muzzleloader, and then the early rifle, that 17th to the 25th, very similar to your early rifle hunts in Arizona. Those are the cream of the crop, incredibly tough to draw. But if you get one, you've really got something. Um, our elk in Utah, while a lot of people say they're not as good as they once were, and I probably would agree with that, they, I think we really had it so good for so long through the early to mid to late 2000s that, uh, you know, permit numbers just didn't quite keep up with the number of giant bulls that we had. And, and they finally did, and things have moderated, but we still have really good elk hunting. And I would probably say, you know, these units aren't any secret to anybody, but, but San Juan, Fillmore Pavant, Beaver, Plateau Boulder, you know, Southwest Desert, that would probably be my top five if you say what are the best odds that I could kill a really big bull, a 375 type or better bull. That doesn't mean other units in a tier below that don't have them, but, but those, those units are managed that I just mentioned 
are managed in that for an average age of harvest of seven to eight years. That's the highest age bracket in the Utah Elk Management Plan. So you have more bulls and more older bulls simply because tag numbers stay lower. Other units are managed in that five to six year old category, um, and there's a lot of great units. And the bulk of Utah units are probably in that in that classification. You know, the Book Cliffs, um, the Manti, the Fish Lake, the the Monroe, the Mount Dutton, um, you know, Panguitch Lake. Units like that and LaSalle Mountain still produce 375-plus bulls on them, but I would say the bulk of the top-end bulls killed or are more in that three, you know, 350 to three, maybe 70 range. And those are big bulls. It's just, uh, uh, again, they don't, they have a few more tags. There's a few exceptions within those units. And don't, the management plan doesn't manage for an average age of harvested bulls quite as high as those other units I mentioned. Um, it really kind of just comes down, and, and I really stress this, whether it be people calling me that, to, you know, as part of my guiding and outfitting business or our license application and consulting business, Epic Outdoors, I just tell guys, you need to put in for the unit that you would be happy for. Everybody would want the best, and, and uh, you know, but, but the odds reflect that. If you're happy with 330 bulls and would be ecstatic with them, Put in for the units that have the best drawing odds where you can kill those type of bulls. Um, don't don't just simply follow the the mainstream and put in for the best of the best because you know you may never draw something like that. Be realistic and with the weapon types spread out the way they are and the late hunts, there's a there's ways to do that. I think our late hunts are way underrated in Utah. They're about the same dates as your late hunts in Arizona a week or two earlier, but they're have nowhere near the number of tags that we that you have in Arizona. We still hunt our, our limited entry mature bulls very conservatively. So those are great, great hunts. And there are definitely some late hunts that are better than others that are more glassable. You know, Pavant, Beaver, because of some burns, Mount Dutton, some of those come to mind that are some of the better late hunts because bulls are pulled off by themselves or in small bachelor groups again, just worn out and trying to put, put weight back on. Um, are so, those hunts, are, are those bulls patternable and, and do you feel like, um, you know, you said they're kind of underrated in your mind, uh, but you think if, if you had the time to really put into them, whereas our late hunts in Arizona seem like there's so many tags, it becomes somewhat of a rat race. Are the late hunts in Utah actually kind of a sleeper to kill a big bull? Yeah, they are. And the draw, the drawing odds are good. Everybody wants to hunt elk in September. Is that that's when elk are made to be hunted if you can if you can get a tag somehow. Most states allow that with archery only. Utah doesn't. You can do that with, with any weapon, and, and you got those options. But that late hunt, because there's really not that many tags, um, in many of these units you're talking 20, 30, 40 tags. Some of the bigger units, they may, you know, Mantire, Wasatch, you're going to have a lot more. But if you get there early, they're not that long hunt. They're seven to nine days. But if you can get there five days early, and scout and find a bull where they are is where they're going to stay. They're not moving and chasing cows and doing all that. If you find a bull in a canyon held up somewhere, he's just pretty much back in a feeding and bedding routine. It's a great time to kill one if you can get there and, and, and find them. And uh, some of these units, you know, bulls pull into them from other units. Mountain Dutton's one of those, but it borders a lot of other units. Mountain Dutton's got a lot, lot better winter range than some of the others because of all the burns and it sucks a lot of bulls to it from Boulder and, and Monroe and whatnot, and, you know, a few other units like that uh, have instances of that occurs in Utah that make the great, great late hunts. They're cold, and they're not, you know, the glamorous rep bugle hunts, but, you know, if guys have low numbers of points, you really got to look at the writing on the wall and say, okay, am I really ever going to draw an early rifle hunt if I'm already 10 points behind where the maximum point tags are going now? The answer is no. And uh, so you look at another weapon, and if you are a rifle hunt, uh, hunter, look at that late rifle hunt, or if not, you know, consider the muzzleloader now, where you now can throw a scope on it. Yeah, for sure. Um, one thing, as a non-resident, I always look at the Utah uh, booklet, and it doesn't list, like, say, for the Pavant or say the Dutton or the Beaver, the late hunts. How come it doesn't actually list how many permits they're going to be? I mean, I, I don't know, as a non-resident, 
whether there's 15 tags or there's, you know, 1,500 tags. Can you tell me kind of a rough idea of on some of these units, you know, are we talking hundreds of tags or what are we talking? Uh, On these top-end units that we're talking about, like San Juan, Beaver, Boulder, Pavant, you're talking 15 or 10 to 25 late tags, and that's it, total. That's not non-residents, that's total. And uh, so it's a very So that's unit-wide, that's unit-wide, you're the only hunter, so it's not like there's uh, a lot of those late, or a lot of the archery hunts, and a lot of the muzzleloader hunts, they have you know muzzleloader deer. They have other things going on. Are most of those late hunts just that's the, really the only hunt going on? Yes, there's no you know they even stagger the cow hunts around them. That you know, and there's no there's usually nothing going on in the late hunt except for that. Um, and the reason that Utah Utah used to list the permit numbers in, in the application booklet, they used to have our our application season a little bit later in the spring and they moved it up to January, February, um, four or five years ago. And when they did that, obviously they don't have last year's harvest and tooth data to analyze yet, nor have they done their winter surveys or seen the severity of any winter that we're going to have. So it, it is, I hear a lot of complaints about that. People don't know how many tags they're going to give. And really all you have to go off for now is to look at the drawing odds for last year and look at look at how many tags they gave last year. And a lot of times you can't get the complete picture or an exact number, but later towards the end of the application period, late February or early March, you might get lucky enough and have some of the heart of the tooth data to be available by then and the biologist will be able to give you an idea. Yeah, we're way over, I'm gonna have to increase or nope, we're about right on par, we're gonna stay right where we're at. You normally don't see big big swings in the late hunts in permit numbers unless they have a specific reason to do it, which, you know, if you had a unit or two in mind, you'd probably touch base with the biologist in, in February, or you know, not, not just for the late hunt, but for any of these hunts, and say, okay, do you anticipate going up dramatically, down dramatically, or anything that would, you know, affect my drawing odds? And where it really comes into play, and I hear this, this is the biggest complaint, is when a unit is getting on that threshold of issuing, say, only one non-resident permit or two non-resident permits, or going from two permits down to one. Somebody applies for a unit thinking there was there's going to be two tags, I should get the max point tag, the division cuts the permit slightly, and only gives one non-resident tag, and it goes in the random draw, and those people are pretty upset. Um, so it is an inconvenience. Um, you know, there are many other states, you know, Colorado, you know, Wyoming, um, you know, a lot of these states don't publish their set numbers in their regulations. All you have to go off of is what last year issued. And if you really think you're on the verge of drawing something, the best thing to do is try to get in touch with the game biologist and say, hey, do you anticipate anything big, up or down? And, uh, you know, hopefully you guess right. Yeah, and as uh, the service you offer through, your Epic, through Epic Outdoors, you are – personally in contact with a lot of these so you have a lot of that inside knowledge as well correct yes particularly on some of these units well for sheep especially that doesn't really factor in for non-residents but any sheep unit that that's going to go from two tags to one tag or one tag to two tags it, it can make a big difference on where somebody wants to apply with with the max point with maximum point uh, and similarly on some of the other once in a lifetime and, and in cases with non-residents, particularly where they're on the brink of one non-resident tag or two, you know, 15 roughly is the magic number. When, when Utah issues about 15 permits on a unit, they'll start giving two non-resident tags. So whenever you're right around that 13 to 16 range, it, it can be volatile year to year on whether they go up slightly or down slightly could shave or add a non-resident permit. And, allow you to sneak in and steal a, steal a maximum point tag if they add it, or maybe apply for something that you now don't have a guaranteed of drawing if it goes just in a random draw. Sure. Let's take another quick break here. Utah Hydrographics is in the water transfer printing service, and they are open to whatever you can dream up. Choose from a wide range of camo patterns, designs, and colors. Whether it's guns, bows, tools, rifle stocks, vehicles, 
steering wheels, fenders, dashboards, paint guns, fishing rods, cups, tripods, watches, knife grips, helmets for a local sports team or for your motorcycle, picture frames, mailbox, animal skulls, you name it, they can probably do it. Utah Hydrographics loves taking things that are general looking and turns them into something that looks fantastic and eye-popping. Give them a call and see what they can do for you and receive up to a 10% discount by using the JScott16 promo code. Visit them at utahhydrographics.com or on Instagram at Utah Hydrographics. Whether you are interested in elk, deer, antelope, bighorn sheep, or moose, Western Hunter and Elk Hunter magazines will bring the adventure to your mailbox. These publications feature articles on the finest hunting gear, tips and tactics from experienced hunters, field judging trophies, glassing techniques, calling strategies, and much more. To become a more knowledgeable and skilled hunter, subscribe today. Go to westernhunter.net forward slash jscott and enter your email address for a chance to win a $1,500 credit towards any Swarovski product. That's great stuff with the elk draw. Um, How was the elk season this year uh, for you from from an outfitting standpoint with Bronson Outfitting? Um, And maybe tell me a little story or two about uh, uh, how your hunts went, maybe something in, in particular. I would characterize the hunt last year in Utah as overall average, and in some cases they were tough. We had some pretty warm weather throughout September. We had some pretty warm weather throughout September, in, at least in some of the units I spent time in, and that just seemed to de- delay the rut a little bit. And even towards late September when the muzzleloader hunt was going, on some units it just didn't seem to be you know, going that strong. Um, other units I heard from other people were going great. Um, we spent some time on the San Juan and the Boulder and uh, hunted the San Juan early, uh, 15th of August, early, early opener for an archery hunt. But we were hunting some, a couple of giant bulls that we'd watched all year long. And, you know, you mentioned it earlier, you've got general season elk hunters, you've got general season deer hunters all hitting the field at the same time. And there wasn't anybody doing anything intentional, but it just, we had people running into our bulls and, you know, they were smartening up real quick, realizing, hey, the game's starting to change. We're not just eating groceries and filling our bellies all summer anymore. Things are getting real. So we weren't able to connect on one of those big bulls there. And our hunter came back a little bit later in September when the rut started and killed a nice bull, his first bull with the bow. But the boulder was a great hunt last year. We killed a few bulls on there. There's always bulls that slip through your fingers on that unit because it's so thick and flat, and you just got to get in the middle of them and chase bugle to bugle for the most part of that unit. But uh, um, I was there with an early rifle hunter, uh, one with a good friend of mine, guiding me killed a nice 375 bull um, three or four days into the early rifle hunt. And uh, uh, the bulls, you know, first few days of that hunt, it was hot, dry, dusty. Your optics were just coated. It's like, man, this is going to be tough. And then it turned off and cut loose and cooled down and rained and it was a switch went off and it was incredible all throughout then and then my brother got at the muzzleloader hunt there it was, a, it was a great hunt so i don't spend time on every elk unit and um, unfortunately or fortunately i should say um our desert sheep hunt starts the same day in utah as our early rifle elk and so depending on how the draw turns out i may be on that elk hunt or i may be hunting sheep and um so we you know, normally take a, a bunch of sheep hunters, and, and if we get a bunch of them booked and set up before some of the elk guys call, I end up unfortunately have to pass on some of those. But uh, overall, it was a good a good year. I would say banner. I think everybody is more optimistic about this year, knowing the dates are going to shift a little bit later for all seasons. You know, kind of centering more towards the rut. What is the moisture forecast? Uh, how's it looking there? Um, I know it's pretty early to tell, but what are you looking like so far? Yeah, based on right now, and I'm I'm in southern Utah, but the southern third of the state has been great. Um, the San Juan is holding as much snow as they've had in a lot of winters for this early, you know, in the winter. And a lot of the time we get a lot of our moisture in the late winter, early spring storms throughout March march and stuff so if things continue or even if it didn't get much from here on out things are going to be just fine we've had a really good moisture year we got 
dumped on here about a week or 10 days ago in southern Utah. We got 16 plus inches here at my house in Cedar City in one storm in about 24 hours. It kind of debilitated town, but that's, you know, that's a 5,500 feet. And uh, I think some of that put northern Arizona and flag and whatnot too. So, you know, we track a lot in southern Utah, similar to the strip and the northern Arizona units. And all things are pointing to me, this is a is definitely average or above average moisture for this stage of the winter. Good. And um, for those guys out there that say, you know, have eight to 10 points and they're listening to this episode and, um, you know, they feel like their odds aren't very good. Correct me if I'm wrong, but some of these units that just have one archery tag, I mean, it's in, anybody has a chance and everybody has basically the equal chance. Is that correct? As yeah, a non-resident? Can, yep. You can draw the first year. I've taken desert sheep hunters as non-resident that drew a zero point. So wow. that's the extreme out of three or 4,000 applicants that, you know, ranging from zero to 20 points. He had one name in the hat. You know, you get a name in the hat in the random draw for your application and one for each of your bonus points. Uh, they end up, you know, issuing you the lowest number out of however many of those choices you get, and that's the number you're assigned. But, yes, you, know, you can draw any year. Um, and so some states, you know, people become different disenfranchised with certain draw systems. I think that's probably what led Arizona to consider the change that they recently did. So uh, much like Arizona, Utah's the same way. Uh, you can draw any tag any year you apply for it in Utah. There's nothing that is mathematically impossible to draw. That's awesome. I've got 16 elk points in Utah, and um, you know, obviously with the dates bumping back, those four or five days, you know, to the 16th of September, uh, that's something definitely I'm eyeballing. Uh, for archery on, you know, on the downside of that, I believe the full moon is the September 18th. And so even though those dates bump back to the 16th of September, you know, it's the the last day of the archery hunt there will be two days away from the full moon. Yep. Um, my question to you would be, do you think that that full moon uh, is going to negate those extra four or five days in that, yeah, it won't be full, but it'll be pretty darn bright. And how do you think that full moon kind of falling right in the smack dab middle of, of the early rifle hunts and such is going to affect that hunt? I I think it definitely can impact it and has a tendency, from my experience, to compound things when you have a hot, high-pressure camped over you. If you get into a rainy pattern, it's cool and rainy and all that, it seems like things just go. Um, but if you've got a high-pressure camp over which I know some of the northern Arizona units can get that way, just like we can, and it's 70, you're pushing sometimes 80 degrees during the middle of the day, and you've got a full moon, that can be, that's when I've seen it probably affect things the most. And obviously we can't predict what the weather's going to be leading up to it, but we, you know, if you can get some of those cooler storms and rains and cool fronts coming from the north down to trigger the rut as much as anything and kind of, I think, it, it tends to mask the influence of the moon. But I've seen when you get the full moon with a 80-degree high pressure sitting over you with no end in sight for 10 days, it can be a long hunt because those bulls really do the most of their activity 30 minutes, you know, before dark and all night long and shut up, you know, half hour and after or half hour to an hour after daylight. Yeah, can make it tough for sure. So I'm looking at it, um, you know, what what kind of intrigues me is the muzzleloader season. Uh, more than anything, obviously, an early rifle tag would be awesome, but I just don't have enough points uh, for, you know, say the top five units for that. Um, but the muzzleloader season intrigues me, even though it goes after the archery, after the early rifle um, but from a bugling aspect, I think uh, this year in Utah, that muzzy season will probably be off the hook as far as bugling. Yeah, it, sh- it should be. I mean, it's, it usually always is. This year, it, it shifts to as late as it normally is, and, and that'll just mean that perhaps if the archery and, and early rifle hunts are really good, they may take a few more giant bulls home before you get a chance, but it's not going to be 
without having intense intense rut action. It, it's going to be great, you know. And even even into the first of October, some units that that first week in October they still just go crazy. So it would be a great hunt if you don't have a lot of points or you know trying to you know work around another schedule. Uh, you know, archery seasons in other states are obviously beneficial more during that 10th to 15th of September through the 25th or 30th. That's when most states are. And, you know, you can do the Utah archery hunt and be done right before that or do the muzzleloader hunt and hunt, you know, after some of the other state archery hunts are over. For sure. Uh, in regards to bugling, taking out the size of bulls, uh, if you had to say the top three units over your lifetime, uh, what you've witnessed, um, regardless of size of bulls, what would you say your top three just chaos bugling uh, units are? Well, last year we had a, we had one of those nights on the boulder that was one you'll remember for the rest of your life. It was just one of those things like you're almost like you're invisible, and you've probably been there, Jay. Like, like the elk don't even know you're walking amongst them. They're so preoccupied with screaming and fighting and carrying on and you're just literally walking through the middle of them it felt like and so boulder and, and san juan i would say and that's you know a little biased perhaps because i've probably spent the most time on those units but i've found a lot of other units and partly is because of what i mentioned earlier they have a higher bull cow ratio and a higher age structure on it so you have a lot more six plus year old bulls running around that all think they're you know, something special and screaming their guts out. But I'd say those two are, are they're, they're hard to beat. They really are. For sure. Um, let's talk about, um, or, or I guess I should say, is there anything else with elk that you think we didn't cover that we need to? No, I think that's probably pretty good to cover on that. Okay. Okay, let's talk about um, deer and uh, the archery deer and the limited entry and the muzzleloader deer and, and basically ma uh, mirror what we just talked about with the elk and explain some of the ins and outs of Utah deer hunting, which I know is dear to your heart. <laughs> yeah, I, I love big deer. Um, unfortunately, Utah issues about 1,000, maybe 1,250 limited entry deer permits, and that's it. Uh, contrast that to about 85 to 90,000 general season permits. So there's a big bottleneck for even residents, but especially non-residents for deer tags. There's just not enough, you know, tags being pulled out and people removed at a fast enough rate to really unclog the log jam, so to speak. But what we do have are, are very excellent. You know, the clear no-brainer number one unit in the state is the Henry Mountains, and that's very well well-known. There are a tag uh, for non-residents in all three hunts, archery, rifle, and muzzleloader hunt. Um, you know, it's as good a deer hunt as you may ever get in your life if you're lucky enough to ever draw a tag. Um, behind that, you know, the Ponsagant unit, over the last six to ten years, through permit cuts and different things and, 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 and now some highway fencing and habitat projects that have gone on on the wind range, all signs just keep pointing that that's just continuing to gradually get better. And, and the bucks that come off it every year kind of bear evidence of that. The archery hunt is phenomenal. It's a great time to hunt pattern deer that you've maybe been able to scout or your guide scouted all year long and hunt them the first crack. The muzzleloader being the end of September on that unit sometimes can be tough. It's not a great open country, big, vast slopes sit on your butt in glass all day. It's not that kind of unit for the muzzleloader hunt. So deer have rubbed their velvet by late September. can get kind of tough to, to dig out. You've you got to have some um, insight and hunt one or two specific bucks and stick with that. The rifle hunt this year, um, because of these date shifts that we've been talking about, is now shifted as late as it normally goes till the 30th of October. That unit's a very highly migratory deer herd, and they move from north to south, down towards the Red Rock stuff, down east of Kanab. And, you know, although it's harder to hunt a pre-scouted deer on that rifle hunt because they've migrated on you, you're going to be, anybody could come around the corner or walk over the next ridge and, and kill a 200-inch plus buck, you know, almost accidentally. 
Um, you've got to be in the right place at the right time, but it's a little bit more of that way. And you'll see a lot of deer. Um, it's a it's a good hunt for 180 to 200-inch deer. Not as many 200-inch-plus deer killed as probably people would anticipate or hope with the number of points it takes to draw. But it's got great genetics, and it's a great hunt. Um, the, then you kind of get into units right after that, like San Juan Elk Ridge, Fillmore Oak Creek, in my opinion, is perhaps the next couple best units. The Oak Creek is is a good unit. They've made some boundary changes on that this year that over time I think will help solidify the number of deer that were getting killed. Part of that unit was a general season unit in the past and now it's it's all limited entry on the east side and so I think that'll that'll preserve some deer from getting killed on the general season hunt. But it's a, it's a steep, rugged mountain range. It's got low densities. Um, we've reintroduced California bighorns onto the Oak Creek in the last two to three years, put another 50 head there this winter off of Animal Island. So you need to be willing to hike and, and get off the beaten pack. It, path. It's steep and rugged, and uh, but there's some good deer coming off it and uh, doesn't have a lot of tags. Similar to San Juan Elk Ridge. San Juan Elk Ridge, I, I'm a big um, proponent of the archery and the muzzleloader hunts there. Those deer also sometimes by the rifle hunt at the end of October will migrate and they get off in, off the plateau, off of Elk Ridge, into some of the cedar, nasty canyon stuff. And, and it can get a lot harder on the rifle hunt, especially with later dates like this year. Uh, I'm not a big fan of that Elk Ridge rifle hunt unless somebody's got the time to dedicate to hunt the desert areas and hunt resident deer down in the, in the desert. Uh, but the archery and muzzle are hunter fantastic there. You know, then the book cliffs, the, the burning, you know, maybe uh, the Loris Triangle. Those hunts, I would all, I would expect 160 to 180 bucks. Bookcliffs has a lot of deer. It's a great hunt for people that just want to see a lot of deer, and, and it's not physical. It doesn't produce a lot of 180 or 190 plus deer. It, it just doesn't. Um, but it's it's a great hunt for people that just, you know, have mid range points, maybe 160 to 175 type bucks. They're happy with. And the late dates will make that a good hunt too. Those deer migrate off the top, get concentrated somewhat down on the winter range by the last several days of that hunt. It's a fun hunt for anybody of all ages. Burnham's not quite as many high deer density, but uh, I would put the size expectations similar, although there do seem to be a few 190 plus deer that always come out of Vernon. Um, but that's probably, you know, with exception of those late muzzleloader hunts that I've Addressed earlier, which again, like on the Zion, Pine Valley, Plateau Boulder, maybe Fillmore Pavant, they all have those now limited entry muzzleloader deer hunts November 2nd to the 10th. Again, these are general season units still. They're units that just got their brains hunted hard out of them for nine days, the 22nd to the 30th of October. Three days later, you get to start with a muzzleloader, but very limited numbers of tags. We're talking in most of those units, they've been issuing only around, you know, eight to 10 total tags, maybe one or maybe two non-residents is it. So it, it, it would be a limited entry feel in terms of not very many people there, but the age structure is, is not like it is on our limited entry unit. But the dates this year, especially on units like Zion where migratory deer show up off other units like Pontagon, it has the potential to be a really, really good hunt. So what you're saying from a date perspective, the dates actually make turn them into a probably a pretty darn good hunt. Yeah, last year uh, it was just early. This year, with five days later, has the p- p- potential to be great. If you get some kind of weather event towards the end of the general season rifle hunt or the very beginning of that muzzleloader hunt, and by weather I mean a bunch of rain or snow in the high country that just gets deer moving down and starts to trigger maybe some rut and rut activity. That could be a great hunt, no question. Since 1982, the Outdoorsman's in Phoenix has made it their goal to provide the very best customer service combined with the latest and greatest optics and accessories in the business. Outdoorsman's is the leading designer and manufacturer of high-quality tripods and mounting accessories for any hunter's optical needs. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or call 1-800-291-8065 and use the J. Scott promo code until February 28th to receive 10% off all Outdoorsman's packs and pack accessories. 
Wilderness Athlete is committed to improving the health and quality of life for the outdoor athlete by providing field-tested, scientifically validated nutrition and sports performance products. Check them out at wildernessathlete.com and use the J. Scott promo code to receive 10% off any order in February 2016. Awesome. Um, tell me about some of your deer hunts over the last couple years. Uh, from either a personal perspective or from a guiding perspective, uh, maybe some of the highlights. I know you guys have killed some great big deer. Um, tell me a few stories. Uh, well, it seems like, you know, for me and my schedule, I, I mean, even though I'm an outfitter, I end up, you know, being along on probably 80% of the hunts that I book <clears throat> as an outfitter. And, and that's mainly because I, I love to hunt. If I don't have a tag personally somewhere in Utah or another state, the next best thing is going hunting on, on a unit that I'd just as soon be myself. Um, having said that, any sheep hunts or trophy deer hunts in Utah is where I personally like to make sure that I get to go. And, uh, you know, uh, the Henry Mountains is, is one of those places that it's really hard not to have my schedule revolve around that to some extent, whether it's in the muzzle or the rifle hunt. Um, we usually will have, you know, between one to four hunters down there spread out on, on the different seasons. And, uh, you know, we've been there for about 10 years and been very fortunate through a lot of hard work to take some great deer. And every one you take just makes you want to be back there and take another one you know, just as bad. That's the thing about big mule deer is everyone's configured and looks a little bit different. And people that love them, you want every big one you've ever seen in your life. You want one like it on your wall. And uh, that's probably the case with me. Uh, we were fortunate enough this last year to got a gentleman from Utah. He had maximum points. He put in 20 years and uh, drew the muzzleloader hunt. And uh, through our scouting efforts, you know, we turned up a deer that we'd been watching the last two years this year's the third year and he was finally he was finally the one to hunt and uh we were fortunate enough after five days to to let troy our hunter get in position and, and to take that deer with his muzzleloader made a great shot just over 200 yards and uh uh the 235 inch official gross scoring deer and nets 230 so he makes all-time boon and crockett non-typical he also nets 197 and a half of the typical so he's wow. one of those rare deer that officially would go both ways. He did get entered as a non-typical 230. And um, Safari Club International score, um, which is very similar to Benacrocket Gross. Uh, they just don't take the net deductions of symmetry or abnormal points. And uh, he's just 217 and 78, so almost 218. Uh, and is the New World Record typical muzzleloader mule deer ever killed. He's just terrific deer. He'll actually be in our Epic Outdoors booth number 2945 at the Western Hunting Conservation Expo along with several other giant deer that uh, that friends or uh, we've been a part of in one way, shape, or form this year. So, yeah, stop by and see it. He's a great deer. He's Fortunately, I got a set of replicas of him, but he's one of those deer that I just look at all day long and never get sick of. He's just a tremendous deer. So, what is it about deer and, you know, I tell people this a lot too. They're like, well, they look at coos deer and they're like, well, man, you shot quite a few coos deer. And, you know, some people will say, well, they all, you know, a lot of them look a lot alike. And I sit there and go, what do you mean? They don't look anything alike. They all look different. You know, they, every one of them has their own characteristic. And I think, you know, it, it, you can only explain it. You don't have to explain it to another hunter. You only have to explain it to non-hunters. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, the thing about deer for me is any deer that's different than what I've already shot, I, you know, it's like you want it. You're like, yep. man, that's got a cheater here. It's got a kicker here. It's wide. It's narrow. It's tall. It's, you know, yep. um, you know, it's a heavy buck. It may not have long points, but I don't, you know, don't have a, a heavy one like that. Or he's got, you know, multiple eye guards. It's, it's amazing how. Um, and I think that's what the intrigue is with deer across this country, whether it be whitetail, mule deer, coos deer, whatever is, um, they're all so unique. And, and I think, and I'd like you to maybe speak on this. Uh, you, you talk about watching deer for a couple years in a row. Um, 
some of those deer are uh, unbelievably smart. And then there's some deer that, uh, you know, you shake your head and say, why are you standing right there? What are you doing? You know, go hide. But for the most part, big mule deer don't get big by being stupid. No, that's right. And and you're right. I mean, I think mule deer, I haven't had coos enough to, to really be able to say this about them, but it seems like of all the species I like to hunt, mule deer have the most variation in configuration. I mean, I love to hunt sheep, and you and I both know there's certain rams that are flares, tight to the head, you know, you know, have overlay, don't, but, but they still have a curly horn, you know what I mean? They don't have cheaters, <laughs> you know, they're all curly spikes. Uh, deer have everything going, and uh, that's part of the allure. The other thing is, maybe for me and a lot of us out west, I know this is probably true, is we were born, you know, I was born in the early 70s. The time, as I start to started to hunt, deer hunting was still pretty dang good in Utah, but over my lifetime, it really declined. Not here, but almost every western state, and most states have the institute draws and things like that and that's the system we operate under now it is just simply so hard to put your hands on a true giant you know 190 200 inch plus deer anywhere that when you get to do that you just the 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 drive to want to do it again just makes you want to work harder and and find the next spot Um, you've got to try to make something out of nothing sometimes with general season tags and then get lucky and draw tags or earn them in the case of like Colorado or places that make you accumulate points or, you know, in some cases acquire landowner tags. But I think part of it is just big mule deer. There's just not enough of them to go around. It's not the good old days. And so we treat them like gold. And, and as far as I'm concerned, they are like gold. 